are Centrepoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Great. Good, well, thanks everyone. Thanks for uh, coming this week. Uh, as Hannah says, my name's Chris and I'm the lead elder, pastor, vicar, whatever you want to call me, here at uh, Centrepoint Church. And uh, it's, good to, it's good to gather together, isn't it? Um, if you, if, it's a bit cold, isn't it? And yeah, we, we have spoken to the, to the manager and said, oh, can you see if you can sort something out? And he, he's assured me he's going to try to. Um, so what I was going to say is that if you want to put your coats on, that's fine. You know, it's not... I know people are British, aren't they? So, oh, I don't know if I can do that. You can do that. It's okay. And uh, if you haven't got a coat, go and see John. John's got a massive one over there. In Becca. Go and grab his or something. But yeah, so feel free, if you want to put your coats on, feel free to. Uh, we'll try to get that sorted. And uh, I'd just like to take a moment to, you know, along with Hannah, especially welcome new guests. And uh, if you're new here today, you're so welcome. It's great to have you with us. Um, this morning, like, we're going to be carrying on from 1 Corinthians, and this time we're in chapter 6. Um, so if you'd like to turn to that, that'd be great. We've called this series Church as God Intended. Uh, because what we're doing is uh, we're looking at key principles that Paul gives the Corinthian church throughout this book of 1 Corinthians. And we believe that as that God has got great plans for us here at Centrepoint Church and that as we go through this book that he has laying down these key foundation stones for us as we prepare to see all that God might do amongst us. And uh, here at Centrepoint, we love Jesus and we place him at the centre of everything we do. And so... That's because of that, we love his word, and that's why we use it, we preach it, we, we go through it, because we know it's useful for correcting, rebuking, and training, and teaching in righteousness, and it's a good thing to do. So, last week, it was a bit of a fun passage, wasn't it? And uh, as we were looking at church discipline, and so that was good. If you missed it, do get the download. Um, you can get that online. But um, I think if it's possible... This week is even tougher, or, or even more fun, however you, you'd like to put it. Um, I sort of gave a little plug, a little teaser last week, talked about how we're going to be looking at sort of sex and prostitutes and all that kind of stuff this week, and I know that's why you've all turned up, um, so it's good. But, uh, no, I'm joking. Um, but, yeah, it is, I'm just letting you know that um, this is, in terms of like content, there is some sort of, we're, we're talking some explicit language today, and so I just want you to be aware of that, and that, therefore, if you're listening to this online and you've got children around, you might want to switch off, or equally, if the, I don't know if there's any children here, but just parents be aware. So, should we, let's read the passage, and then you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, hopefully, you've found it by now in your Bibles. If, you, if not, don't worry, it will appear on the screen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, just to mention that the first few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 are actually all about kind of discipleship, dis, dis, discipline, discipline, and we kind of covered that last week, so I'm not going to read the first few chapters, the first few verses, we're going to start into verse 9, it says this, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, 
you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. I have a right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have a right to do anything. But I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. But the body, however is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies." Okay, ready to have some fun this morning. It's, it's a good one, isn't it? Interesting. And uh, lots to unpack. I think it might be good for us just to start by praying, shall we? Father God, I just want to thank you. Thank you for Jesus, your son, for the one who left all the riches of heaven to come to this earth to reveal you to us. And Lord, we thank you for your word, the, the Bible for all that's in it, that helps to also to reveal you to us and your, your will for us, your heart for us. And I just pray, Lord God, this morning as we look to unpack all that this, uh, this chapter kind of says to us, Lord, I just pray, would you be with us? Would you reveal your spirit to us, Lord? Would you just help us, Lord God, help us to understand what you are saying, what, you, what Paul was saying 2,000 years ago to this Corinthian church and what you might be saying to us here today. Amen. Amen. So I mentioned last week that there are several options we could do. Uh, we could um, just skip over this passage completely and just go on to the next, find something nicer to talk about. We could um, just kind of fluff it all down and just kind of, you know, contextualise it and say, oh, that was in the past, it's not relevant today. We could big it up and be like, oh, you're all going to hell and, you know, go, go mental. Or we could try to faithfully stick to what this passage is trying to teach us. And uh, I've entitled to this morning talk, and that's what we're going to do, by the way, try. And um, <laughs> not the first one. Um, I've entitled this morning's talk, um, Holy Lifestyles. And so foundation block number six, Holy Lifestyles. That's how we build a church, Holy Lifestyles. So um, we're going to get into all the all that what sexual immorality means, all the stuff that's come up this in a, in a bit, and we'll include the homosexuality part two. Before we do, I just there's a couple of things I want to say. First of all, I would like to say that many Christians today, or many Christians, period, and many churches throughout the years have taken verses like this and just focused on the homosexuality part. They have done that to great damage to many people in our society and around the world. And they've over-focused on the one thing whilst being hypocritical to the other. 
And so I know that I've heard many stories for people for whom church, rather than being a space where they are welcomed and loved and cherished and upheld, instead it's a space where they're marginalised and boxed and judged. And that is not good. And I don't believe that's the heart of this passage either. Secondly, I'd like to say that for many of us here today, this, all of this that we've been talking about, is not a political issue. It's actually quite a personal issue. Either because we're dealing with these kind of feelings in our own lives and working out what that means, or we have dear friends, family, neighbours that are dealing with this and going through this. And so the feelings on this topic run really deep, really deep. And so it's important to tread carefully as we look through it. And thirdly, you know what? There aren't actually many places in the Bible that speak on sexual immorality and specifically on homosexuality. But when that it does, when the Bible does speak on these things, it is quite clear, and I think, I guess as it is today, and it will be foolish to ignore those parts, so it's important for us to, to look at them and, and find out what that means. But equally, we need to recognise that the Bible isn't just fixated on this and nothing else. In fact, the Bible has much more to say to people who are struggling with these areas or the things that, we've been, that are in the passage to say to people, regardless of their sexual orientation, there's much more that the Bible has to say about God's grace and God's love and God's compassion and his joy and his peace. And There's all sorts of stuff. And so um, as we go through, it's important uh, not just to hear one thing at the detriment to another. And so if you're here today, if you're here today and you're heterosexual, or you're here today and you're same-sex attracted, or if you're here today and you identify as LGBTQI or, or any other, um, then my intention this morning is not to be insensitive towards you, but I do want to reveal what the Bible has to say on this whole issue, and I want to encourage you to be open to that, just to be open to hear what, what might the Bible say. In fact, I genuinely believe, genuinely believe that what the Bible has to say to all of us, regardless of where we might sit or might be, that it's good news, genuinely good news for everyone. It's good, good things to hear. And so it's good to remember this letter, um, what is good to remember is that this letter is written to Christians. It's not written to society, it's written to Christians. It's written to the church in Corinth. So that's, that's one thing that's really important to note just as we start off. And um, also, there, as we just go through, there will be things that you think, oh, he's, he's missed that and missed that. And some are intentional because in a couple of weeks, as we look into chapter 7, chapter 7 really deals with marriage and we're going to look at healthy relationships and, and what does that mean. And so there's like quite a large marriage content, which I might touch on a little bit, but most of that is going to be in a couple of weeks' time. And, uh, and also there might be other things, or you might want to explore this, these topics that we're going to bring up today in more detail. And if you do, then let me recommend a few things like... The True Freedom Trust um, is not here today, but our very own Stuart Parker is a director of this uh, wonderful charity, and uh, you can find some excellent resources on their website or, or speak to him. You could also go to the Living Out website. It's got some excellent resources on, on all this kind of stuff. Uh, you can also listen... We're, we're part of a, ch- a family of churches called Commission, and each year we go to a conference called West Point, and Stuart Parker did actually a, uh, a seminar on, on some of this stuff this year, and a guy called Sam Albury did some in 2015. Both talks are brilliant, and I encourage you to listen to them. And so there's, there's all sorts of resources where you can get to delve into this topic deeper than what we're going to be able to do on this Sunday morning. 
Is that okay? There's a few things I just wanted to say up front. So the main focus of this morning will be sexual morality in its entirety and all that that means and how we're called to live holy lifestyle. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at four different things. First context, then sex, singleness and society. All right. And specifically, what is sex for? What does it mean for everyone to, what, what does it mean if sex is for marriage, which we're going to look at, what does it mean to be single in our society or, or in, in the church? What does that mean? And then what would Jesus say to our society on all this stuff? Is that okay? Yeah. We're quiet, but you're with me, yeah? yeah? You understand where we're going? Good. All right. So the first thing then is the context. And uh, we've been talking about context a bit over the last few weeks. I'm just going to pull out a few more bits. Um, Corinth was a place where people thought that they were very smart. They were very smart. It was all about knowledge. And we talked about how people would come from all sorts of different areas from around the the world, really, to come to this place called Corinth. And and they're all after knowledge and following different thinkers, progressive thinkers on different things. And so this all creeped into the church. And the church are like, wow, now that I know all about grace and what that means, I know my rights. I can do anything. That's what, that's what it says in the Passion. I can do anything because I'm saved by grace. I'm free to do whatever I like. And so Paul tackles this issue. And um, he, he even, when it comes to like the sex debate, um, they say, oh, I can do anything. But Paul is really like, um, has is kind of taken, this, this church has taken everything to the extreme. And so we, we talked about last week how this, there was one guy sleeping with his stepmom. And uh, so it was good. It was a good one. You should download it. And this week we're talking about how the people in the church, church members, are getting involved with prostitutes and um, they're like, this is what they're saying, I've got my rights because what they've done is they've they've taken all the knowledge that they think that they have because they're so wise, um, which is something that Paul has tackled and they're like, hey, I know this Paul and Paul tackles that in this this, uh, chapter. It's also, I mentioned it was a centre of sex and uh, Corinth is a place of sexual promiscuity and even to Corinthianise is to be someone involved in all sorts of sexual perversions and again this has got, all got into the church and so there was a real mix of all types of religions, uh, people groups, different cultures coming together and in many ways do you know what that's a bit like Guildford and uh, where we have people coming from all over the place. It's a commuter city. Corinth was a commuter city. Lots of different people coming into it. It was a, it was a centre of knowledge. And you know what? Guildford is a centre of education too. It's got lots of university, lots of knowledge here. And um, all this made Corinth a very sexually promiscuous place. And you know what? That can be exactly the same for Guildford too. In fact, you often find that places that um, are like commuter towns where you don't have generations after generations after generations kind of living there, they can generally become places of sexual promiscuity because when people get involved, they, you know, they don't know who their neighbours are. No one knows who you are. You're kind of anonymous in your society. And so what that means is that if you, when you live in like a, a more of a closed place, when you do something... Everyone finds out about it, and it brings shame, not just on yourself, but on your whole family. When you live in a community city, no one knows you. No one cares. No one cares what you're getting up to. And so it's much easier to then get involved in this kind of thing. It was exactly the same then as it is now. And in Corinth, one particular issue was that people in the church were going to worship at other temples. Often, 
that's what other people did in their culture. And so it absorbed into their ideals and into their worldview. And so they just thought it would be normal for a church member to go to the temple of Aphrodite or the temple of Artemis and have sex, engage with the temple prostitutes because, well, that's, that's what we do. We are Corinthians. That is part of our culture. After all, the body is for sex and the sex is for body and both will die. That's what it means when he says the food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. That is like a saying that the Corinthians had. So like, you know, if you were, I don't know, you, had a, you went out last night at a one night stand and you saw your mate the next day and you're like, and they're like, oh, what'd you get up to? And you tell them what you got up to. You'd be like, you know, food for the stomach, innit? Right, that's what we do. That's because that's what the body's for. Like in our day, we have slang words like YOLO. You only live once, you know, crack on. I've only got one life, I might as well do whatever I like. And that's, that's what they had here. And um, that was their kind of local saying. That was their attitude towards sex. And so people in the church, that's what they were doing. And then the third thing is that because of this, their identity was rooted in their sex and sexuality. All of this resulted in identity based on their sexuality, their sexual preferences. To be a Corinthian meant that you were involved in sexual promiscuity. That was what everyone did. It was expected. It was the norm. So that's what people did. And if you didn't go along with the community, well, are you really part of us? Are you really a Corinthian if, you, if you're not getting involved in these things? And so um, it was very much rooted in who they were. As, uh, as a, a member of the church in Corinth, I was, they, they would also be a Corinthian and to not then get involved in those things would somehow to be ostracised from the community. It would be weird. Like, what are you doing? You're not sleeping around. What? Sex just for marriage? What are you talking about? Like, that's what people would have expected in that culture. It's the very much the same today, isn't it? And so in verse 19, it says, Do you not know... Paul's like teaching about sexual morality, sexual ethics in that kind of context, in our kind of context. And he's saying, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? He's in you and he's, he's received from God to you. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. It would have poked at the very heart of what it meant to be human as Paul said this. Very countercultural. Very countercultural. And you can imagine people in the church thinking, Really? What, I can't, I can't go and sleep with the prostitutes? Yeah, 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 because you were bought out of price. What? What? They, like, they wouldn't understand this. And so, um, as we look at this, I think it's very relevant today. Very relevant. Because our society tells us that who we are is our sexuality. That to somehow not engage in sexual promiscuity is to, to deny yourself something of who you are. And Paul is tackling this issue of identity, and we're going to look a bit more about that soon. So throughout this chapter, Paul's like, whoa, what are you talking about, guys? Remember, um, remember who you are. He's talking to the church. Remember who you are. And he mentions several verses. The one I've, I've just I've put there, so he mentions that. He also talks about how you're bought at a price, you're not your own. And he also mentions in verse 11, all of this is because you've been washed. You've been made sinless. That's what it means. You've been sanctified. That's to be made holy in God's sight. You've been justified in the name of our Lord Jesus. That's a legal declaration proclaiming you innocent. The reason why you shouldn't get involved in these things is because of all of this that has already happened to you because you're a Christian. And so Paul's like, guys, Jesus died for you. 
He died for your sins. You're not bound by sin any longer. So don't sin in any way. When you put your trust in Jesus, your nature changed from guilty, from sinner by nature, to innocent, to holy one by nature. So he's like, now that you've been given this gift that no one else on earth has, only people that put their trust in Jesus, now you've been given this gift, that gift enables you not to sin. That's something that not anyone else has. You, you have freedom to choose not to sin. You're not bound by the laws of sin anymore. You're not chained to that thing. You're not a slave to sin. So instead, live in that way. So honour God with your body. But I've got to be honest, this must have been so tough for the Corinthians to hear. Because like I said, sex was so ingrained into their society, into their culture, into their identity, into their worldview. That's what it was all about. And so when you read verse 9 which is the first verse and it says the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of heaven and then you read verse 10 which starts like this it talks about um, thieves the thieves won't receive it so that's that's obvious what that is that's people that steal things the greedy that's an intense selfish desire for wealth um, and power and food or when you read about drunkards which is an habitual overconsumption of alcohol. Or when you read about slanderers, which is um, someone who basically spreads fake news and they misrepresent facts. Or when you read about swindlers, these people are like scam artists. Uh, they're, they're kind of like internet scammers and phone scammers. When we read about those things, I think that most people in our society are like, yeah, I kind of get that. That's cool. I kind of understand that the Bible would say that these people are kind of excluded in some way. Because after all, like, everyone hates phone scammers, don't you? It's like, it's so annoying. And now they've got, like, automated ones. And like, it's like a robot voice. I was like, a robot is scamming me. This is dreadful. Like, what's I will come to? Um, sorry, bugbear. And uh, so, yeah, so... I think most people are probably like, they kind of get what the Bible would kind of say, these, these things aren't cool. I mean, maybe if you're going to pick one, you might want to keep the greedy, you know, because you like money and chips. Um, but the, the rest we're kind of okay with. But that's not how the list starts. These are like the last bits on the list. That's not how the list starts. And in fact, these things aren't really the focus of the 11 verses that follow. And... Um, so we're not really going to go into those things today. Instead, we're going to go into the thing that the list starts with, and that is with sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, and those engaged in homosexual practice. So let's just define what those words mean to help us as we go through. The first one is sexual immorality. And uh, sexual immorality okay. uh, is... That's engaging in any sexual activity... Not just intercourse, but any sexual activity, um, I guess kissing or above, that is not with someone who is not your spouse. So it doesn't matter whether you're married or not married. It doesn't matter whether the other person is married to someone else or not married. If you're engaging with sexual activity with someone who is not your spouse, you've not tied the knot, said your I, I wills, I do's, whatever, then sexual immorality covers all of that. It covers a lot. So um, it covers everything like that. And it is, it, it, in the old Bible, it used to be translated fornication. It's like an old word of that. Um, and it, but it means the same. 
idolatry, that's the intense worship or the intense admiring of something that's other than God. Often that can be through sex in our society. We, we intensely admire something that's, that's not God. We, we kind of look at that for our sense of who we are, sense of our identity. Um, adultery is engaging in sexual activity with uh, someone who's not your spouse. And again, that's similar to sexual immorality, but sexual immorality kind of covers everything. This adultery is, is specifically like you are married and you're engaging with someone else. You've committed adultery. Or, or maybe someone else is married and you're engaging with them and like let's say they've committed adultery, you've helped them to commit adultery. That's what adultery is. And then homosexual practice, um, this would include whether you're male or female and it's engaging in any sexual activity with someone of the same sex. Okay? So this is um, it's quite a stark list, isn't it? And... Um, you might be thinking, oh, well, you know, the Corinthians thought that, well, yeah, but Jesus, you know, he's all about grace and forgiveness. And this is kind of all physical stuff, but, you know, Jesus, he, he kind of comes along and he, he doesn't really say this, does it? And Jesus is like, physical schmizical. Like, <laughs> if you even look at someone, that, and you have already committed adultery in your heart. Jesus kind of takes this bar that Paul sets and, like, puts it up here. It's like off the scale. And you might be thinking, well, how can anyone be saved? That's a good question. Absolutely spot on question. Because that is the point, I guess, of all of this. That the only way to be saved, you can, no one can fulfil all of this. And the way to be saved is by putting your trust in Jesus. Because he's the only one that has. And so, amen. Yeah, so we're going to be looking at this passage. It's good to remember, again, I've said it already, that these verses are not just about, they're not just targeting homosexuality. So you might have someone who comes up to you and says, why does the Bible hate gays? Or why does the Bible really target homosexuals? And you can say, whoa, 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 whoa. It is so much worse than that. The Bible... <laughs> is not happy with anyone who engages in sexual activity outside of the male-female marriage lifelong covenant union. It's so much higher than what, you, what, you're, what you're thinking it is. It's so much bigger than that, it's wider than that. The, bi the, the Bible standard of holiness in sexual ethics is like up here. It's not just one or two little things. And people can take some of these verses and just focus on the one, like, men sleeping with men thing and say, oh, you know, and really focus on that. And the worst culprits are not the people in society, it's the church. And the church go and they say, oh, oh I can't believe that my brother-in-law, he's got married to someone else the same sex. Calm down. Look at your own life. Because all of us are, suffer in some way on this list. And so it's important for us to look at it. So what's it all about? I mentioned the main focus is about sexual immorality. So we're going to look at sex, singleness and society. Let's start with sex. And uh, Paul ends the mini section by going back to Genesis. That's what he does. He goes back to Genesis. He reminds them what sex was meant for in the first place. And that is uniting man and female in a marriage union. And so he quotes Genesis 2 verse 24 where he says the two will become one flesh. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to go back into Genesis. And you see, the biggest issue, I think, for the Corinthians is that sexual immorality is their identity. That's what it means to be a Corinthian. And so 
they've got caught up in all of that and they're talking about their rights. I know my rights. And this is the whole culture. And they're talking about, well, the stomachs of food and food's for the stomach and I should be able to crack on with all of this. And Paul in verse 14 was like, no, no, come on. God had power to raise Christ from the dead and that power is at work in you today. So leave those things behind. And you are a temple, after all, of the Holy Spirit. You need to leave that behind. And so I believe that Paul decides to tackle this issue by compelling the Corinthian church to go into Genesis. And in Genesis 1, we read that God created male and female in his own image. The identity that he gave to mankind was as male and female in his image. In Genesis 2 verse 18, we find out that God, having declared everything good up until this point in creation, when he comes to making Adam, he says, hey, this is not good. He specifically says, it is not good for man to be alone. And just a note here to say that throughout centuries, people have used this verse to say that women are inferior to men. Oh, look, the woman needs to be the helper. That's how people have seen this. But can I say that when God created Adam, Adam was unable to bear God's image by himself. So far from the deficiency being in women, the deficiency was in man. He was unable to bear God's image by himself and so God created Eve. And Adam and Eve together bear God's image. It's together, it's a partnership. It's equal status before God. Maybe have different roles, but equal status and standing. And so we can't use this to to kind of somehow... um, downplay or look down on people of the opposite sex no there's there's equality birth right here at the beginning of the creation story and then God creates Adam and Eve and um, and then verse 24 this is what Paul quotes this is why so because God created man and female he says this is why man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife so Genesis says that the reason we have sex which it describes as one flesh, is because we have male and female. In other words, because men and women are made in God's image and have their identity in that, God gives them the blessing of sex. Genesis shows us that sex is a blessing, it's amazing, it's God's idea, he designed it because men and women have their identity, not in it, but as their identity as image bearers of God. Because they have that, they have sex. So let me ask you a question. Who are you at your most you? If I was going to get you to drill down into who are you in your deepest being, what might you say? I mean, I wonder. This passage tells us that who we are at most us is not our sexual desires or our sexual identity, but who we are at our most us is a person made in God's image. This was vital for the Corinthians to hear, which is why Paul goes to Genesis. It's vital for us to hear. And this is good news, because whoever you are, at your your most you, your sexual desires, if your sexual desires is the thing that you are at your most you, then in order to be the most fully complete person you could ever be, would mean that you have to have your sexual desires fulfilled. And the reality is that it's really rare to be able to do that. Unfortunately, our society seems to label individuals as their sexuality. And so society tells us that who you are, your most you is your sexual desires. And so therefore, as such, life's goal is to find sexual fulfillment at all costs. 
And so it doesn't matter if you're married or single or whatever. Society tells you that your goal must be to be sexually satisfied. And so if I'm in a, in a relationship with someone and I'm not sexually satisfied, well, society tells me, well, I should break that off because I need to be who I am in my completeness and find that thing that's going to fulfill me in that way. And do you know what? As you look around society, we just see breakdown after breakdown. Homes broken up, children taken a spit apart. Uh, we see all sorts of problems with mental health, with uh, emotional well-being, with kind of the way that we view ourselves and our body. And it's, just, it's for men and women all, all over the place. The kind of levels of, of emotional, mental well-being have just skyrocketed. Because, well, if who I am at, my, at most me is my sexual desires and my sexual desires aren't being met, then I'm half a human. I'm not complete in some way. And therefore, whoever you are, whether you're LGBTQ, heterosexual, or anything else, you know what? The good news about this passage is that those things aren't the things that make you who you are. And so going after those things, or, or a passage like this saying, hey, you shouldn't go after those things, isn't denying you who you are. It's just saying that, hey, that, that is not the thing that, de that defines who you are. And so the problem with this is that sexual desires change. This is another problem. Sexual desires change. And this can bring an instability to the rock of, a of who a person is. So as we grow up and get older and kind of things start falling off and stop working, um, then, or, or let's say my partner dies, am I now suddenly uh, half what I was before because I'm not engaging in sex with them anymore? Or if I break up my relationship, am I half of what I was before? No, that is, that is not true. And because that is not true, your sexual identity cannot be who you are at your most you. And um, Genesis shows us that our identity is found in God, that you are made in his image. This never changes. Your value, your dignity, your identity in God is as a cherished, loved child of God, that whatever season of life you're going through, however old you might be, whatever your relationship status looks like, um, however your health is, God delights in you and you can know a fullness of life in him. And so when you get too old or too ill or too stressed to be able to perform in the bedroom, you know what? You are no less of a person. You still have value and dignity, and it means that whoever you are, whether you're single, married, gay, straight, in a relationship, not in a relationship, you don't have to resort to sexual immorality outside of the context that sex is designed in. Every, for every Christian, sex is a blessing, for a, and it's a blessing for a lifelong marriage covenant relationship. It's not anyone's identity, and, but it is for marriage sex is a gift it's good and just like when you get your apple iphone if you try to use it like it's an android device you're not going to get very far so don't misuse the product get the most out of it in the same way get the most out of sex how are you going to get the most out of sex you need to follow the user's instructions <laughs> don't you the user instructions are hey put it in marriage it's the best place it's going to be and so married couples sex should be joyful you should be fully fulfilled in it you can worship God by having sex together. Imagine that. It's good. It's generally, it's a good thing. And we're going to be talking about marriage in a couple of weeks' time, so we'll get back to that. So what does it mean for single? We talked about sex. What does it mean for single people? Well, let me ask you a question. I want some answers to this one. What does our society say about singleness? 
Tell me, what does our society say about singleness? It's good, no strings attached. Anything else? Oops, I was meant to click on. What does our society say about singleness? It's a problem you have to solve, yeah. Society does say that, yeah. It's a problem you have to solve. You might think you're free to do what you want. Yeah, yeah you're free to do what you want. So it's kind of, so it's a problem you have to solve, but singleness is really good because what it also means is that you can kind of do what you want. You can go with anyone. And so, you know... Society kind of tells us, doesn't it, that if you're in a long-term committed relationship, well, you're, you're tied down and you're stuck. But if you're not in a relationship, well, that's okay as long as you are being sexually fulfilled all over the place. That's what the Bible tells us about singleness. Oh, sorry, the society tells us about singleness. It's good. <laughs> not the Bible, not the Bible. It's, it's good if you're out there, you're not tied down by anything and you're having all your sexual desires fulfilled. It's bad if you aren't being sexually fulfilled. That's what the society says. So here's another question. Tell me, what does the church kind of either subliminally say, you know, through those conversations you have? What does the church portray to people about singleness? Yeah, you're not complete. You ought to be married. Yeah, anything else? Maybe the fact you're missing out. Yeah, you're missing out. Yeah. Yeah, 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 keep your pants on. That's right. It, it, yeah, I, I hear all these things. Like, sometimes people, people, people generally, single people come up to me and say, oh, you know, the church makes me feel like being single is somehow unspiritual. There's, there's certain things that I'm unable to do in God um, that I, I need to be married to be fulfilled. I need to be married to be a real Christian. And then when I'm married, I need to be, have kids to be a real Christian. And then when I've got kids, I need my kids to have kids, so I'm a grandparent, and then I've made it. And, and that's how we can kind of feel this is hierarchy that, you know, in order to be fulfilled as a Christian, you need to be married and you need to have kids. And that's just not the case. People can feel that um, being single holds them back from serving in sometimes certain areas. In um, America, there's a Presbyterian church that has a students and 20s group. And um, they don't call it students and 20s. They call it pairs and spares. <laughs> How bad is that? I can't, I can't believe it when I saw this. It's, uh, if you want to look it up, it's Loveland Presbyterian Church in America. Shocking. And yet, that's, it's true. The church is dreadful of how they talk about singleness. And the default of most single books is basically, I know this is pretty rubbish, but there are some positives out there if we can kind of, if you can just try to kind of hang on, we'll try to eke out a few positive things from the Bible somewhere, but you'll be all right in the end. I'm sure we can find you someone to marry. And that is just not helpful. I don't think what the society believes about singleness is helpful or what the church believes about singleness or kind of portrays about singleness is helpful. And you might be here today and you're thinking, yeah, like... All this kind of saving sex for marriage stuff, which I suppose I haven't really gotten into yet, um, is nuts. You might be thinking that, and you know what? If you are thinking that, you're not alone. Because the disciples thought that also. And they challenged Jesus about it in Matthew 19. Jesus had been talking about sexual immorality. He'd been talking about marriage and divorce. And in fact, he points his disciples to Genesis verses as well. The Genesis verses that we met. And he, and he reminds them that um, you, uh, the reason why a man and, and will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife is because, the first bit, because the creator made you man and female. Because he made you in your image. And um, the disciples are, are like thinking, 
well, Jesus, like, this sounds nuts. Like, surely, if sex can only be kept from marriage and I can't have sex with anyone else outside of marriage, surely it's just better kind of not to marry at all because that all sounds very much like commitment. And Jesus' answer to that is, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, instead, just try before you buy, have sex with as many people as you can, and it will be good. Nah, it's not, is it? He doesn't say that. What does he say? Well, he, he talks about singleness and celibacy. And uh, so he uses a word called eunuch, which is the word that we use for someone who is single and celibate. And celibate, I know it's, a, it's an old-fashioned word for your young people, celibate means someone who does not engage in any sexual activity. So Jesus, when the disciples say, surely it's better not to marry, Jesus responds by talking to them about what it means to be someone who is single and not engaged in any sexual activity. And so he replies, he says this. So they say, surely it's better not to marry. Jesus says, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs, that single and celibate people, who were born that way. And there are eunuchs who have been made that way by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And the one who can accept this word should accept it. So society says that one great thing about singleness is that you can be sexually fulfilled. And Jesus says that singleness should include celibacy. So when Jesus talks about people that do not fit the male-female pattern... His answer is not to deny that there is male or female, which our society tries to do. His answer is not to deny that there is marriage and that marriage is good between male and female, which our society tries to do. But he simply recognises that male-female marriage does not work for everyone. And so he lists three types of people. The first one, he lists eunuchs from birth. These are the single and celibate people that from birth. You know what? There were some people born, and there are some people born with a physical condition that means that they are unable to be married or express sexual activity in a marriage physical union. And indeed, that can be the case today. There are people today that are born with these kind of deformities, and it doesn't mean they can't get married, but it just might mean that they can't express that physical union through sex. There is that type of person. Then there's a second type of person, eunuchs that have been made that way by other people. So there are those today that are single because of things that have been done to them by others. So they're single and celibate because of things that have been done to them by others. There are scenarios that people have encountered whereby they are unable to mentally or physically engage in a marriage partnership or in the sexual aspect of a marriage partnership. So again, male-female marriage may not be an option for them. And Jesus talks about that. He mentions it. And then the third thing, he says, these aren't the only reasons, though, why someone might not be involved in, uh, in marriage. There are, there's another reason why someone might be single and celibate, and that is that someone, for, this, for some people that love God, that know that he has invented male-female marriage for a male and a female, and if that person's desires are such that they are unable to commit to a male-female marriage union, instead of getting involved in an LGBT union, they might choose to live as eunuchs for the sake of the gospel. That's what Jesus says. Jesus is saying that it is possible to be single and celibate for the sake of the gospel. 
for the sake of the kingdom. That same kingdom that Jesus brought to this earth, that same kingdom that he teaches us to pray that will come, he says that we can serve it by being single. He acknowledges that there are people that don't fit this male-female marriage union framework, but his answer is not to rubbish male-female marriage. And it's not to say, well, love is love, and love between any humans is right, and so therefore just crack on and just kind of make any marriage work. No, instead, he says, the only godly alternative to male-female marriage is single and celibate. Nothing in between. That's what he says. And that might sound massively countercultural, but that seems to be what Jesus is saying to, the, to those who know God, to those who are Christians and put their trust in him. That's what he was saying to his disciples. And this is the case, and this is the same thing, sorry, that Paul says. He says, it's not sex for the body and the body for sex. But in verse 13, he says, your body is for God and God for the body. It's, you are made in his image, he brings out Genesis. And he says, you are his and you are joined to him. You are united with Christ. So shall I unite Christ to a prostitute? Never. I'm not going to do that. Because you've been bought at a price. You're not your own. You were a slave to sin, now you're a slave to God. You're part of him and he's with you and he's for you. And the question to all of this that I think comes to mind, because this it is, I recognise that this is, you know, gen, can be generally difficult for, for, for us to hear. And my question to anyone would be this. Who is more committed to your long-term joy? Is it yourself or is it Jesus? And if you believe in Jesus and you believe it's Jesus, then we, you can take the words that he says, you can take the encouragement that he says, you can, you can receive that, you can let it dwell in your spirit, you can open your heart, be soft-hearted and let him through his Holy Spirit just speak to you for what that might be in your context, in your situation. And remember, this isn't just talking to the LGBT community, this is talking to all of us. Because you might be here and you're in a heterosexual relationship, but you're not married yet. And the Bible does not encourage you to engage in sexual activity of any kind. And it's not just talking sexual intercourse. It's talking everything, all the foreplay, all of it. You see what I'm saying? That list wasn't just homosexuality. That list was all sexual immorality. And the sexual immorality is defined as anything outside the male-female marriage covenant union. Okay? Last thing, and we're going to end on this. And I know time's running out, and we will come to worship. And this is good news. What does the Jesus say to our society? Well, if we carried on reading the next few verses in Matthew chapter 19, we find another group of people that these group of people, a bit, I guess a little bit like homosexuality, homosexuals might feel to the church, this group of people are massively looked down upon by other Christians. And this group of people, they try to come to Jesus and they try to speak to him. But the disciples stop them from coming. They say, no, 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 you can't come here. They'd stop them from coming. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The kingdom of God belongs to people like this. Do you know what Jesus was talking about? He's talking about children. In that society, children were not allowed into his presence the disciples try to stop them. And do you know what? Sometimes churches can try to stop people who might have a different sexual orientation to come into Jesus' presence. And I believe what Jesus says to these people, to these children, are the same as what he says to anyone today. Whoever you are, 
Wherever your background, whatever you're, you're involved in, you are welcome to come into my presence. You can come and you can know what I'm like. You can come into a relationship with me. Paul reminds us of all of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he, he says, remember, because that's what, you know, I don't know if you remember, that's, we're speaking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, not really Matthew 19. He reminds the Corinthian church and everyone here today that... Jesus can forgive you, that he washes your sins, that he sanctifies you, that he justifies you. And all of these things are a gift of grace. None of us earned it. None of us deserve it. None of us merit it in any kind of way, but we all are given it by a free gift of grace. And so Jesus says, you are welcomed into my presence. You can come in. You can know a relationship with me because I love you and I'm treasuring. You know what? Your identity is not in your sexual uh, desires anyway. Your identity is as a child of God. And I came to this world to die for anyone who would put their trust in me, who would believe in me and commit their life to me. It's why Christians, we are called to share God's love. And we can all find identity in him. It's why we're taught to teach people to get to know him. It's why we're um, taught to make sure that we are open and welcoming. And you know your singleness, your sexuality, your marital status, your gender, none of it defines who you are. But knowing who you are in Jesus as a child of God, that is your identity. You are made in his image and he loves you. And do you know what? If you think that you need to be sexually fulfilled in order to be human, then consider this. The most fulfilled human and complete person that has ever walked this earth was Jesus, Christ himself. He was a man who never had sex, who was never married, who never had a long-term or meaningful romantic relationship. And he is the most complete person in all of human history. And so we can't just say that these things are intrinsic to having a complete human-filled life. And so if you're single here today and you're longing to be a complete whole person, 1 Corinthians invites you to come and know Jesus. That's how, you're gonna, that's how it's going to work out. So I want to encourage, can the band come back up? I want us to go back into a place of worship. Because for all of us, none of us can fulfil this list. None of us can meet the standards that Jesus has set for us. When he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. None of us can do any of this. All of us fall short in our sexual ethics in some way. Everyone. And so it's so important, isn't it, for us to remember that that is not the thing that makes us who we are. You know, your marital status isn't the thing that gives you identity or security. Your singleness doesn't give you that thing. The only thing that gives you your identity is your relationship to God because that makes you a child of God. And so what I want to do is, can you stand, let's stand together. Maybe the uh, band can just start to play. I want to give us a, just a chance to respond. And um, I just felt particularly today that um, I'm not going to do a call to the front so I'm just going to encourage you to respond where you are uh, maybe the keys can start playing when you're ready um, that I believe today that there might be people here who have engaged in some kind of like sexual activity outside of marriage or maybe you know it's one of those things sexual marriage, adultery, idolatry whatever it might be and maybe you've asked for forgiveness, maybe you haven't. I want to give you an opportunity to ask for forgiveness today. 
just believe, I just get the sense that there might be people that feel just shamed about this thing. You know, there's freedom in Christ today. There might be people here that just feel tethered to a past situation. You know, maybe it happened before you became a Christian. Maybe it's happened since. It doesn't matter. Today, you can receive freedom in Christ. A few uh, nights ago, I had a picture, and I believe that's for this moment. And the picture was there was a person on a boat and chains wrapped all around him and boulders wrapped in the chains. And he was chucked off the boat and he was falling through the water, sunk without a trace. And then the next image was this man jumping in, reaching down into the darkness, pulling him, breaking the chains, bringing him up to the surface, breathing life, bringing him to the light, giving life back into that person's life. You know his name is Jesus. And he is coming. He can break every chain. He can break every sin. He can break anything that you feel bound to, that you feel constrained to, you think boxed you. He has come to set the captives free. And so today you can know freedom in him. You can know those past sins, those past shames cut off, separated from you as far as east is from west. There is freedom in Jesus for you this morning. So let's pray. Why don't you just open up your heart to God, however you feel most comfortable. Father God, I just want to thank you. Thank you you're here in this place. Thank you, Lord God, that whoever we are, whatever our sexual orientation is, there is freedom to be found in you. Thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you, that we can know significance, identity, value. We can be cherished by you. And I just pray, I pray this morning, God, if there's anyone here who feels bound in some way, who feels chained to some past hurt or past sin, or current hurt or current sin, I pray, Lord God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you just come into that person's life? Would you break the chains? Lord, I pray, would you help them to know they are forgiven, they are set free? Lord God, as they repent to you, as they say, sorry, Lord, I'm sorry for where I've messed up. I'm sorry for where I've gone wrong. Lord, I pray, Lord God, would they know your forgiveness? Would they know they can walk with you, that you're never going to leave them? never going to forsake him. As we were singing, you never give up on us. Thank you, Lord, that you are good. We just trust you. We love you. And we're going to worship you. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.